Let's, uh, let's dive in. First um, Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, we know brothers, uh, and that would include sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Somebody said chosen you. Uh, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. For you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. This, this was the sparking of this series. It's going to be called, as, as, as up here, Authentic Christianity. Can you say authentic Christianity? You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, as we go through the summer, you remember that I said that we're going to postpone our manhood series, our biblical manhood series to uh, September. And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm working on some more work on that as well. Um, but, but, I, but, I, but we were, we were already going to get to First Thessalonians. And um, First Thessalonians is just, a, just to me a phenomenal book. I mean, for almost 18 years, it's been a book of, I, I've liked the Thessalonians. They, they've kind of been, it's kind of been with my first memory verses in the Bible kind of stuck to me because those verses in chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, um, they were just great memory verses for me in my early stages of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so I didn't know until I began doing background on this, this book, um, why this book means a lot to me personally, and I know that it can be connected to many other believers. But before we dive into, like we usually do, when we start a new book, kind of the background, the framework and everything. I'm a, I want to let you know why I call this authentic Christianity. Uh, it, it, by, by way of illustration, you know, I, I, I go in the, my wife and I shop at the CVS on Broad and Gerard. So I live like right around the corner from there. And so we go to the, um, we go to the CVS on Broad and Gerard. Now, one of the things that, that happens when I get out, there's a lot of stands out there. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and those stands is just a staple for Philly and East Coast cities by which people are selling products. Cats are selling either watches, they're selling sunglasses, you know what I'm saying? They're they selling dobs or hats, as we would call them, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, they're selling all kinds of things. But the most interesting thing that they sell out there is polo or olo, as we, I'd say. Some of y'all will catch that on the way home. Um, there's some of the cats selling, you know what I'm saying, Jordans. I call them Ordens. Um, I'm going to tell you why in a second. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, and you're like, dang, I mean, money, how much of them new, you got the new J's? You're like, wow, you got the new, well, how much of them Jones? He's like, man, that, man, 40. You're like, 40? <laughs> them Jones, two, two beans at the um, John down the street. Foot locker got them for two beans, you got them for four. Oh, you know how we do on the block, fam. I'm like, all right. But... <laughs> If you take a little bit of a different look at the Jones, right? You're like, where the, you go on the internet, you got your little phone out, you're going like this, looking at the dude. You're like, 
You're like, hold on, there's a difference between the two of these, man. And um, my the polo man, you know, um, why, why he got a baseball bat instead of a, a polo stick? You know, I'm trying to, you know what I'm saying? You're trying to, you're trying to find out, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, and, and you're like, man, this is weird. And you, what you find out is, is these are knockoff clothing items. Um, now, 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 most, now, a lot of people in Philly wear the knockoffs because off the fire, you're like, man, look how money got the, the navy blue shirt with the navy blue top on the sneaks with the jeans on. Blah, he looks nice. When you get a little bit closer, it looks a little bit rugged. You watch the joint once, it shrivel up so that Jerry on Tom and Jerry can wear the joint, right? Um, um, but but, but that, the, the idea of that knockoff, uh, if I put them on, I know that I would feel like I didn't have authentic brand on me. I, I, I would really feel like I got on knockoff clothing. And, 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 and many times in spirituality and Christianity today, there is knockoff forms of Christianity. Uh, we got knockoff churches. We got knockoff pastors. We got knockoff offerings. We got knockoff buildings. We got knockoff women. We got knockoff men. We got people who, when you look afar at them, they seem to be an authentic product of the gospel. But when you get up real, real close to them, they're bootlegging their spiritual life. They're bootlegging their prayer life. They're bootlegging the Bible. They're bootlegging every single area of their life because their Christianity is not based on a righteousness that comes from God by faith with a motive to focus on Jesus by the power of the Spirit, but it's selfish, it's self-centered, and, it's, and, and it only wants to do what only man's means and acts can accomplish. And so today, we come into a book of, of some very, very young Christians. In Acts 17, Paul finds himself on a missionary journey after he picked up Timothy in, uh, first Tim- in Acts chapter 16, and he got with Silas, and they went on another missionary journey uh, into southern Europe uh, and parts of it. Really, he didn't go into Asia, just parts of Europe. <coughs> and he landed deeply in the areas of Greece. He l- landed in Illyricum. He landed in Berea. He landed in Athens. He landed in Pathos. He landed in all of these different places. But one of the key areas, and he landed in Corinth because that's the port city. But in the northern section of Greece, there was a place called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a place where he got there, and as his custom was, he would go where he had redemptive historical common ground with the people of God. Meaning he would go to the synagogue and begin to spit the truths of the gospel in the synagogue and he began to reason with the officials that Jesus Christ is, is, is actually the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so around three Sabbaths, minimum a month, maybe six weeks, he spent time here. And, and, and it says, <coughs> glue globs of Gentiles uh, uh, um, um, and, 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 and a few Jews. And then, and then, and then, mad uh, women. A lot of women that, that that had Luke, prominent women. It'll say in Acts chapter seventeen, <laughs> became Christians. Now this was funny. Paul dipped out the synagogue, and all them cats dipped with him. And then, so they was like, "Oh, nah." So they began persecuting the people of God because they didn't like the fact that people were trusting Jesus Christ and turning away from legalism and acts of inauthentic spirituality over to authentic spirituality in Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> so we come here, and we see that this church, when you go into the rest of the passages, it got so beasty for Paul that Paul and him, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to roll out of Thessalonica. They had to roll out of the city, and they went down to Berea. They went south to south, uh, southeast to Berea. It was interesting is that, that, that Jay, he was, Paul was making tents, and we'll talk about that as we get in the book. He had a tent-making ministry, not a ministry, but a business. He was a, he was a tent maker, not a, he didn't have a Christian tent business because you'd have got thrashed if you'd have had Christian emblems on your tent, right? So he just made really, really good tents back then, right? Really nice tents. And as he, not, now I'm not, when I say tents, I'm not talking about tinted windows. Got to make sure in this neighborhood I'm talking about Tents like camping tents. All right. I just want to make sure because they're like tents. Dag, they had tents back in the day. Tented chariots. Nah. I'm talking about, nah, I'm talking about tents that you get up in. All right. So I just want to make sure we got this straight. <laughs> and so because of the persecution, they caught the first person they could catch. They caught a young buck named Jason. Jason was who Paul was staying with. They dragged Jason out of his crib and began to beat the toast out of him and began to just tear money up. And they, and they made some things together to be able to deal with Jason and the other Christians. But after Paul and them left, the Christians were young because they had just trusted Christ, so they didn't have much discipleship. And, and not only did they not have a lot of discipleship, <coughs> bear with me for a minute, um, they, they didn't have a lot of discipleship, but they also, can you imagine becoming a Christian without not, with, with two or three Sunday school classes under your belt, maybe two or three uh, Sunday morning worship services and small groups under your belt, and then all of a sudden persecution breaks out against all of you. That's what happened here, that they didn't have much under their belt, but persecution began to happen. And so, of course, Paul, being the type of person he was, we'll see later in chapter 3 that he sent Timothy to check on them to see how they were spiritually doing. Um, but, but, But Paul, after that, wrote this letter to be an encouragement to the spiritual growth of the, people, of the people of God. So we come here, and I got two points and two points only, then I'm out of your way. When we talk about authentic Christianity, uh, authentic Christianity is reflected in our character. Authentic, that's the first point, authentic Christianity is reflected in our character. Look, look, look again at verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... To the church, that means the called out ones, for those of you who are not Christian or young Christian, that means those, I mean those the assembled ones, rather, those who assemble around Jesus Christ. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Then Paul goes into what he likes to normally do. He says, we give thanks to God always for you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Let's stop here and work through this a little bit. Now, what's powerful in this section, I did a study year, probably about 12 years ago, maybe more. No, it was about 12 years ago. Well, I did a study on just the prayers of Paul. Maybe I may do it for Epiphany one day. But, but I just took all of Paul's prayers and kind of just did an intensive study on them and, and, and kind of actually taught it to small group leaders on how small group leaders need to pray for their small groups. And it's interesting. I know you said I want that. I know I'll see it in your eyes, Pastor Larry. Um, you, and and Paul, Paul had this sense that he prayed for the saints. 
He was excited to call out to God. Now, I like the way he says, remembering you in my prayers. It's as if he, he has a deep affection for them. And as he's spending time with the Lord praying, stay with me, we're just building the framework and the foundation. He began to pray for them because of his desired, God's desired ends for them. One of the things I like about Paul is his authentic Christianity showed up in his love for the saints. See, 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 that's very important for us. Uh, if we're going to have authentic Christian character, is you got to be willing to pray for other believers. In other words, your prayer life can't just be for you. This, I, I didn't even mean to talk about this right here. Your prayers, you can't go into prayer all the time about what you need from God or you need God to do. Sometimes in your prayers, it seems as if Paul spent a lot of the bulk of his prayers heavy about where other people were. I know that all of us have needs, but I'm just telling you right now, you need to have a prayer life that expands beyond you. Because if you're, see, see you're, not, you're not walking in authentic Christianity if you only want God to do for you. See, see when, when you get on your knees, God, because, and, and this comes from affections for God and God's people. When we say affections, we mean love and desire and actually wanting to see the best in the people of God. Some of y'all got some church hurt that doesn't let you pray for Christians no more. And see, church hurt shouldn't get in the way of you getting before God and you beginning to pray to God about the lives of other believers, even the believers that hurt you. Wow. I mean, I, mean, I didn't mean to give applications so fast, but some of y'all need to go through the Rolodex of pain in your life. Write some names down that you've forgotten about. And go before God by name, not to just say how angry and pissed off you are at what they did to you. I wish I, y'all ain't giving me no help right now. Y'all real quiet. But, but, but you need to begin to open your mouth and pray favorably for somebody that treated you unfavorably. That's some rugged, that's some, that's rugged, and Paul was willing to do much of that. Some people Paul prayed for they persecuted him before they trusted Jesus. Wow. So it's, it's, it's interesting with that. that. That was for free. Let's keep moving. He, say, he says, constantly mention you. I like the fact that he does it all the time in our prayers. He says, remembering you before God the Father. In, in this section, of course, Paul is going to begin to talk about what that remembrance looks like. He says, remembering you before our God. That means we have them in common and Father for three things. This is interesting. I want to spend the bulk of our time on these three things in relation to Christian character. He says, number one, he talks about work of faith. Somebody say work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, y'all with me, y'all with me, y'all with me. So, so this, this three-dimensional triad, you'll see in the last verse of First. Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, and love. Now, the faith, hope, and love are the three pillars of the Christian faith as it relates to Christian character. And I want to break these down. Of course, a faith, of course, is the non-meritorious work by which you allow the merits of Christ to replace your merits. 
Let, 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 me, let, me, let me say that again. When, when the the non-meritorious work, in other words, the, it's not a work of man. You're trusting in, in putting your confidence in the trust uh, that God, uh, that, 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 that you have in what God has done through Jesus Christ. Let me see if I can make it plain. Whenever, when, when I go to um, my mechanic, I go to my mechanic and I say, what's wrong with my car? And, and, and they'll go under there and they'll come back and they'll give me a sheet. Now, when they give me that sheet, what I do is I look at what they said was wrong with it and look at the estimate and decide whether or not I want to put confidence in what they said was wrong with it. Now, now, I don't have the skill or the ability to go up under my car, put it on a rack, and put it up real high and begin to look at it. Because that's out of my knowledge zone, because that's out of my gifting zone, and because that's out of my empowerment zone, I trust that what the mechanic said was wrong and believe him that what was wrong with it, I'm going to have faith that he's able or she is able to fix exactly what they said was wrong with it. The same way you believe people to fix stuff for you that you don't know nothing about is the same way you need to trust God who can fix stuff that you don't know nothing about. (laughs) Because he's the divine mechanic. Faith, hope, we've seen that hope, and I'll break all of these down in their idioms to help us. Faith, hope, hope, of course, is the, the, a great expectation, <coughs> if you will. It, it means an expectation of something that hasn't happened yet. Uh, uh, hope is the visionary picture of a preferred future that God can only provide through Jesus Christ. That means when God shows you something can be different, it might not happen now, but your hope is that it will happen because you utilize the hope to be able to see the expectation of what God is promising, even though he hasn't done it. And therefore, hope, like we talk about, is a component of faith because faith is the substance of things what? Hope for. And since faith is the substance of things hoped for, it takes hope to have faith because if you can't see where God's going to take you, even though you can't see it naturally, you see it spiritually, hope gives faith a chance. So, so, so we got faith, hope, love. Love is the unconditional acceptance and commitment to someone, someplace, or something. So, so you see that the, the triad at work here in, in the text. Y'all still tracking with me, right? So, so we got the divine triad right here. So, so, so now let's look at them in their components. <coughs> now, now I, I, I could teach on just this for the rest of the gathering. I mean... Just this right here. But these three appear repeatedly in the early Christian teaching. Wherever the ideal Christian character is described, um, I'm going to just name a few so you can write them down if you want and look them up. (coughs) You see them, of course, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You see these three in 1 Corinthians 13, 13 that I just announced earlier. You also see them in Galatians 5, 5 through 6. You see them also in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, I mean, I'm sorry, Colossians, chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. 1 Peter 1, 21 through 22. And Hebrews 10, 22 through 24. So, 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 so what Paul begins to do is he talks about here, remember, he's talking about the nature of his prayers. He says, why, this is the reason why I remember you is because the way these connect. Now, as we go through this, I want you to see how these connect in a powerful, powerful way. So the first thing <coughs> he says is your work of faith. Say work of faith. 
<clears throat> this is very, very important here. Now, it's interesting that we, well, that we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 and 10, that for by grace are you saved through faith, not that of works that is a gift of God that no man should boast, <clears throat> that you'd come here and see faith connected to works. You'll see that in an interesting kind of way, but, 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 but it means faith, it means work that is rooted in or that's sourced in faith. In, 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 other, in, other, in other words, a, a believers don't do any type of works that make them more loved and committed to God. It's the faith that they have in God that produces the power of the work. Let me say that again. It's the faith in him that produces the act of the work. So, so, so when he says every work of faith, now, now, now here, the, the work here is sourced in faith. We'll see this in so many other passages. One is 2 Thessalonians 1.11. I love that passage. But, but it says faith doesn't make the work any less strenuous. But it roots, its roots are in the gospel and the Holy Spirit who turns our efforts into valuable kingdom products. <coughs> that, means, that means efforts without faith is goose egg. See, 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 some of y'all, you got to do something. You got to pick yourself up. Christianity is an emotional crutch. No, 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 no. It's not an emotional crutch. It just means that the work that God calls us to do, we don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, work out your soul's salvation with fear and trembling. Now, the question is, where is the salvation? Did you work it in you? Or are you, it says work out. So where does the salvation have to be? In you. So you're not trying to get something that's outside of you. You're living in light of what Christ has already done in you. And therefore, when you do works of faith, those works of faith are walking by faith in what Christ has already accomplished. It doesn't add to us any value. It makes us live in the reality of the value that Christ has already given us through the cross. So listen, when you trust Christ, you're not any more valuable. You're as valuable and as high a value as you're ever going to be. So you don't have to do anything in your life. You don't have to degree yourself up to feel better, even though degrees are good. You don't have to get, a, get, get, get your spouse to feel better, even though getting a godly spouse is good. Why? Because your identity is rooted and, 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 and stuck in who God is. <laughs> You don't do church service to feel better about yourself. That's not why you do church service. You, you, don't, you don't come to church to feel better about yourself. L listen, listen, listen. Christ was enough and is enough for you to, the more you value him, the more you'll value you. If you try to value you, you're never going to value him. But you don't value him to value you. When you value him, he ascribes value to you and lets you know how much you are valued by him. Y'all miss that. So, see, many of us are working for value from God. When God says, I've already, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I've already ascribed value to you. So the work of faith is very, very important, but it doesn't bring more value to us. It shows the value. That's why Paul can say, therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work in the Lord, knowing that your labor or work in the Lord is not in vain. It's not telling us not to labor or to work, but he wants to make sure that our labor is rooted in Christ and not in ourselves. And so the type of work that flowed out of the Thessalonians' faith is not necessarily specified. <laughs> but, but the emphasis of the word work here means manual labor. In other words, they had so much faith in the Lord that it drove them to work hard, though. So, so, so don't, don't err on, all right, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to do nothing with my life because I'm as valued as I'm ever going to be, and somehow God's going to send angels to do the work that I'm supposed to do, and I just watch them doing it and say, it was by grace and all through faith and all through Christ and all. No. <laughs> right? But the work is the, it's because of, he said, I remembered you because even in how young you were and in the midst of persecution, you were still willing to labor very, very hard and work very, very hard and not walk in idleness, which we're going to talk about later. And guess what it flowed from? It flowed from your faith in Jesus Christ. See, that's why we promote over and over and over again here faith in Jesus Christ. Because faith in Jesus Christ gives you the ability for everything that you think you can do on your own to be done by his power. That's a very, very important idea, and, and we don't want to fall into a fallacy on, on that reality. The next thing is labor of love. Somebody say labor of love. <laughs> now, this is interesting because, of course, this labor means the labor was motivated by love. I like that. Mean the work that the people of God did was motivated by love. You need to write that down if you got a pen. It was motivated, motivated, driven by love. This is powerful. Be be because later he's going to talk about you being beloved and loved of God later on in verse, uh, I think, 5 or in verse 4. But it's interesting here that he says labor of love. This labor means exhausting physical or mental exertion. Toil. This is the labor that is driven by love. Love didn't expect anything in return. But to see the execution of the work meet the need of the final result. Let, let, me, let me explain that. In, in other words, many of us love with conditions. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It, but, but, but this love here is not that type of love. This love was motivated not by what it would get in return, but it was motivated, it was motivated by wanting to see what God wanted to get done through that labor that was done out of a motive of love, that actual thing happened. Okay, let me, let me see if I can be, make it plain. Last week we did an offering for the Malawi trip. Um, and, so, and, so, and so some of you, you gave greatly to the Malawi trip. But some of us may give and say, God, I'm giving. And right now, I'm, I, I am expecting that you're going to do a particular thing that I assign to it in return. Oh, y'all quiet on me right now. Uh, uh, inauthentic Christianity teaches us to give to get. Now, even though we know that we sow what we reap, we reap what we sow, uh, uh, um, the, 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 the person that gives to that Malawi trip, this is what it looks like. I want to see when those 12 people go on that trip that the gospel spreads, that lives are changed, pastors are trained, and more churches are planted. See, when, when, when a person gives out of a labor of love of heart, they want to see the results of kingdom work happen, not just merely the moomerang to themselves. 
See, that, that's very, very important. Now, and then that means that you're reaping, you'll sow stuff that you don't know about, but you're more concerned about what you will, what the kingdom will reap than what you'll personally reap. <clears throat> because you so value what God is doing, it almost feels like you're reaping by the actual activity that you gave to to happen. Y'all missing this. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain again. You're a singer or a vocalist or a producer, and you're doing it for good. Let's just say you're a gospel one, and you're doing, and you're putting out this music, and you want, you, you, of course, you want resources back, but the thing that makes you happy is the reason why you wrote and produced that song actually impacts the people, and you see it in how they're impacted, and you reap in joy because of what the reasoning behind what happened actually took place based on what God planned. That's what a labor of love looks like. Labor of love looks like I, 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 want, I want divine results from God that he assigns to what he's done through us or what he's doing through us. That's what a labor of love does. And it works hard, though. It's not any less working hard. But they emphasize the strenuous, <coughs> beastly work. Next, somebody say steadfastness of love. I mean hope. I'm sorry, steadfastness of hope. So this is the last one in the triad, right? We, we got, we, 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 we got a work of faith, we got labor of love, and then we got steadfastness of hope. Now this is the beastly one right here, right? Because, because the Thessalonians are going through persecution. In other words, people are putting them on blast. People are putting them on blast because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And people are putting them on blast because of their commitment to Christ because they, they're losing out because of how committed they were to their cause. Let, let me say that again. Because of their commitment to the cause of a worldly matter, when they trusted Christ and started walking with them, they were persecuted because of that. Let me tell you something. This is for free. A young believer that meets Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer loss in some places in your life. Why? Because God is the, even though there's no competition, but your commitment to God is a competition to what God wants, what people want to use you for in their life. And when you back up for what they wanted to use you for, it offends the cause of what they want to use you for. So therefore, they have steadfastness of hope. This is dope. Right? Because steadfastness of hope is a powerful mechanism. Now, embedded in all of these are the fruit of the, of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Faith, hope, love, all those things. So we see right here, <coughs> steadfastness, check, check, check out, check this out, what this means. Is the capacity to hold out without selling out. To bear up in the face of difficulty. To patiently endure. To have fortitude. In other words, consistency in the midst of adversity. But what are you being steadfast in here? They said they're being steadfast in hope. And hope is the looking forward to something, the expectation, like we said, or the visionary picture of a preferred future that is provided through Jesus Christ. That means when difficulty happens, that means when difficulty happens, you're still holding up under whatever it is that God wants you to hold up under. That means you don't give in under pressure, but you stand up in the midst of pressure. Uh, and what's interesting is usually you're exhausted at this point. 
but you keep looking at and believing in what God has shown you is a preferred future in Jesus. And even though your body is exhausted, hope keeps you standing up. Hope keeps you walking with the wind in your face. Hope keeps you walking during storms. Hope keeps you pushing through murky waters. I, I remember way, way back when this woman was breaking the record, <clears throat> um, I, I was blown away how, how long she was going to swim. I can't, she swam from one island to another. And, and, and what's interesting is when she got in the water and she was swimming, and, and, she, and, she, and she was swimming and she was swimming and she was swimming this way. I mean, it was miles and miles and miles in the Caribbean. And they put a, a, a thing around her to cover her from pests. But some jellyfish got in there with her as she's swimming from one island to another. And, 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 and you didn't know she was getting stuck because these things were invisible, so you really couldn't see them. But she kept going, and she didn't take a break. And she was breathing in, breathing out, and she was swimming, and she was swimming. And every now and then, she'd look at the island, and then she'd put her head back under. She'd put her head back under. And, and then all of a sudden, she'd come back up, look back at the island one more time. And then she put her head back down. Y'all going to get in in a second. But then she looked at the island one more time, but she put her head down like this as she's swimming. And then when she got out, they picked her up out of it out of utter exhaustion, and they looked at her body, and she was stung all over her body by jellyfish. But, but somebody asked her, how in the world were you able to keep on swimming while getting stung and being exhausted? She said, I just kept looking at my goal. She, 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 said, I kept, she said, I knew that if I kept my eyes on the goal, I wasn't there yet. There were a lot of obstacles between it. But in the midst of exhaustion, I found strength where I had no strength. Let me just tell you something. You better begin in your mind as an authentic Christian to begin seeking God's goals and not your goals. Because your strength comes from the goals that he's placed in your life. And those are pictures of the beauty of Jesus Christ and how he looks, how things look when he transforms those things. And so believers, the believer's endurance is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So endurance becomes the ability to remain steadfast and persevere in the face of suffering and temptation. And so these persecutions that the Christians in Thessalonica were going through God somehow, by his power, encouraged him. Now, it's going to talk about how God did that. We're going to talk about how God did that, which brings us to our next and last point. I got eight minutes. Authentic Christianity is rooted in God's commitment to us. Let me say that again. You got to write that down or put it somewhere because you're going to need this one day. Authentic Christianity is rooted in God's commitment to us. Look in, look in the next part of the verse. It says in, in verse 5. Now look at verse 4. It says, and we know brothers loved by God. Somebody say loved by God. That he has chosen us. Somebody said chosen us. This is important. This is interesting. This almost seems like you could pass this by. But he said, and we know brothers loved by God. I love that. Because, because Paul is letting them know. See, sometimes when something dip, see, these were new Christians. So they, didn't, they, they weren't clear and keen on all that was happening. And so when the difficulty began to come, just like Paul, Peter in 1 Peter 
chapter 4, verses 14 through 17, says, My brethren, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come among you. Uh, They were young believers, so it would have been surprising. I thought you said this was freedom. You know, when you hear salvation, you say this is supposed to be freedom from stuff, but this put me in a more mess after I became a believer than I was when I was before a believer. I wish I could get an amen right there. But, but, But what Paul is letting them know is that this is normal. It's normal when you identify with God that you become a target of the enemy. But he says, but even though you're a target of the enemy, you're loved by God. In other words, he's saying, don't let your circumstances make you think that God doesn't love you. In other words, God, like Pastor Larry was talking about earlier, God in eternity past decided to love you. And matter of fact, let me just tell you something. He didn't decide to love you as a Christian. Listen, let me say that again. (laughs) He didn't decide to love you in your changed state. Nobody knows how deeply ugly we are in our spirit without him than he does. Now, people may have seen some bad from you and may have caught you doing something. and, And they may have seen something that other people don't see. But I'm just telling you, God sees deeper than the worst thing anyone has ever caught or seen you doing. And at that moment, he loved you. I mean, he loved you without any of your efforts. When you were looking at porn, he was, he's loving you. When you were sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever they weren't, he loved you. When you was getting high off weed and getting drunk, he loved you. When you were at your most prideful state, he loved you. When the, when the, when the person gave you back too much change and you walked out because you wanted to buy something with what they gave you, he loved you. At the worst point of your existence, God decided to put affections on you. But this is what's funny. When he saved you, even though you're changed and fully positionally looking like Jesus, he loves you just as equally in your changed state as he loved you in your unchanged state. Loved you. And so he's telling them, you're loved by God. What does the love of God do? It motivates you to hold on. That's why he's saying this to them. (laughs) He's saying to them, he's saying to them, listen, this doesn't make God love you less. Listen, if you point to anybody's struggles, most of our struggles stem from a lack of understanding of how deeply God loves us. Most of our problems stem from that. And that's why he poured this in. Because whenever, because most of our problems are our attempts to be loved by people. So the reason why he's telling them is because he knew that if they didn't know the love of God, they would have compromised the faith. Why? Because they would have tried to please God, to please man, to stop the persecution. And, 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 so, and so he, say, he says, no. Don't be motivated by the pain of the persecution. Be motivated by the person in heaven so that nothing gets in there, so that you will be faithful to him and you'll walk in the love that he already loved you with. And so, but then he, then he doesn't leave it there. I, I, I got to keep it moving because uh, I can talk about the love of God all day. But he goes from the love of God to being chosen by God. See, it's one thing for God to love you. But it's, it's another thing for God to see how messed up you are and choose to be in a relationship with you. 
Hold on, let me say that again. Y'all ain't get that. God sees the worst of us and chooses to identify himself with us. He, said, he says, you're chosen. He, listen, listen, it's funny how he's trying to let them know that the reason why you're going through this is because you're chosen. <laughs> he's trying to change their mind about how they view love and being chosen. Because in the world, if somebody loves you and chooses you, they don't allow you to be in difficult situations. They seek to save you. But this is what's so powerful about God. He loves you, and he like, listen, he like this. Listen, he's like a boxer, right? He's like a boxing promoter. That's what God is like. God is like a boxing promoter. Matter of fact, he's like a, a boxing manager. He like this. He like, look. He said, man, my boxers, man, you know what I'm saying? He'll be like, I'll put my best box up against yours. You know what I'm saying? I put my best box. Now, ain't no, now God, don't, God don't wager and God don't play chess with nobody, uh, but he gets in the game. To, 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 and, and, and he'll put you, what he wants to do, like a boxer says, I'll put my boxer in the ring. And as a matter of fact, they can take a lot of punishment. And I want to see you knock out my boxer. Hit him with your best shot. Why? Be, because the way I've trained this boxer, the way I've poured into this boxer, the way I've invested into this boxer, listen, this boxer can be hit a bunch of times and swing one punch and knock you out. That's how much God believes in his people. See, he believes in not us, but the Christ in us. So he says, I'm going to put you in the boxing ring called planet Earth. And I am going to allow <coughs> hell's minions to be unleashed on you. And I believe in my son's work in your life, even as a non-mature Christian, based on the context. Christ is enough in the non-Christian, the Christian's immature life to sustain them in mature struggles. Y'all ain't with me this morning. I'm going to keep moving. Because, because I'm just telling you, this is how much Jesus, see, we make big of Jesus here, not preachers, not, we make big of him. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And that's what authentic Christianity says. It fights with Christ being enough. It, it, it draws its strength off of Jesus being enough. I got to keep moving. I'm almost done. Just a few more things. Just a few more things. Can y'all bear with me for two more minutes? It says in verse 5, because our gospel, he said, this is why. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and full conviction. This is powerful. I could have just preached this verse today. But this is so powerful because he's talking about the manner in which the word of God came to the people. He's not merely talking about the people's response or the skill of the proclaimers. But he's talking about the manner in which the authentic gospel when preached, what it does. Because Romans chapter 1, 16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, what's interesting, he says, when we came to you, we came not only in word. He's not saying that the word of the gospel is bad, but he's saying the word of God, when it comes in its authentic state, is accompanied by some things. Now, Paul says, when I, he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he, he says, when I came to you, I did not come with persuasive words of wisdom, but of the Spirit of God and of power. This is dope. Because what happens is, is when the gospel was preached to the Thessalonians, now maybe it happened somewhere else, 
but not in the text in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. It's interesting. He, pre- he preached the gospel, but the text doesn't say there were signs and wonders. Because usually, it, you know, Paul will say like in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, <coughs> verse 1, am I not an apostle? Did, do, have I not signs and wonders? And he'll talk about some signs and wonders later. But it's interesting here <coughs> that he emphasizes that when the gospel was proclaimed, it came in power. Now, let's explain that. <coughs> For the gospel to come in power, you've got to understand what the gospel was up against. The gospel was up against an unregenerate, fully committed sinner who was influenced by the prince and power of air, based on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And, they, and we all indulge in the lust of the flesh. We had a nature like our father Adam who was dead in his trespasses and sins and absolutely disconnected from the living God. Paul says the gospel is so powerful <coughs> that people who aren't looking for God, because God isn't lost, people who aren't looking for God, God looks for them, he enters their life, loves them, and chooses them, but then based on Titus 3.5, he regenerates them. Let me say that again. He changes you without your help. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says that he's given to each a measure of faith. Therefore, you didn't have human faith. God had to give you the faith and the transformation to be able to believe in him. So when the gospel came with power, it took people that were not looking for God to be loved on by God, chosen by God, penetrated by God, given faith by God. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one confessed Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit of God. Then the Holy Spirit says, I confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what saved you. He said, by the, by the power, the Holy Spirit, and conviction. That means that the message had authentic content. It just wasn't, it just wasn't an intellectual community of a message, but it had the gully grits of a good stew or, 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 or a good gumbo. The, the, you, you can't just have shrimp in, this, in a chicken in the gumbo and rice. You got to have a good roux. The gospel has a good roux to it. And it stick to their ribs and it transformed them. And he said, the reason why <coughs> I know that you're, that, 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 that you're authentic Christians, this is what he's saying, is because the way in which God chose to show up when he saved you. That's his point there. He he says the way God chose to show up when he saved you. So I don't know who's here that hasn't met this Savior, who who has never maybe trusted him and placed their confidence in his death on the cross. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. That means he placed the sins of man, past, present, and future, on the eternal God man on the cross. And when we repent of our sin and believe in his death on the cross for us, and raise him from the dead, we believe that you'll be saved. And, and what makes an authentic Christian is their belief in that message. What makes an authentic Christian is their belief in that message, not that they went to church, not that they serve in ministry, not that they sing on the prayer, but it's belief in that message is what makes an authentic Christian. Amen. Father, we thank you for the authentic gospel that creates authentic Christians because it comes from an authentic God. Uh, Lord, bless our time as we celebrate you in communion and commune around you in Jesus' mighty name.